The reading today is, from, is Deuteronomy chapter 33 on page 213 in the Church Bibles. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. He shone, from, he shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes. Surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet they all bow down, and from you receive instruction. The law that Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob. He was king over Jeshurun when the leaders of the people assembled, along with the tribes of Israel. Let Reuben live and not die, nor his men be few. And this he said about Judah. Hear, O Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foes. About Levi, he said, your Thummim and Urim belong to the man you, you favoured. You tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognise his brothers or acknowledge his own children. But he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless all his skills, O Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. Smite the loins of those who rise up against him. Strike his foes till they rise no more. About Benjamin, he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest, rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the, one the Lord, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. About Joseph, he said, May the Lord bless his, bless his land with the precious dew from heaven above and with the deep waters that lie below. With the, with the best the sun brings forth and the finest the moon can yield. With the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills. With the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favour of him who dwelt in the burning bush. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. In majesty he is like a firstborn bull, his horns are the horns of a, of a wild ox. With him he will go the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten, ten thousands of Ephraim, such are the thousands of Manasseh. About Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and you, Issachar, in your tents. They will summon peoples to the mountain, and there offer sacrifices of righteousness. They will feast on the abundance of the seas, on the treasures hidden in the sand. About Gad, he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad's domain. Gad lives there like a lion, tearing at armor head. He chose the best land for himself. The leader's portion was kept for him. When the heads of the people assembled, he carried out the Lord's righteous will and, and his judgments concerning Israel. About Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub springing out of Bashan. About Naphtali, he said, Naphtali is, about, is abounding with the favour of the Lord and is full of his blessing. He will inherit southward to the lake. About Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favoured by his brothers and let him bathe his feet in oil. The bolts of your gaze will be iron and bronze and your strength will equal your days. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge 
and, under, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemy before you, saying, Destroy him. So Israel will live in safety alone. Jacob's spring is secure in a land of grain and new wine, where the heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is, like, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper, and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will trample down their high places. And thank you, John. How are we doing? We're all right. Still a little chilly. But good morning, nonetheless. Um, my name is Ken. I'm the youth pastor here at Pilockery Baptist Church. And David is away this week. Actually, I think it's through Tuesday. It's a bit of refreshment. I think it's actually just a bit of a, a, a step away to get some refreshment. And, you know, I've been, I've been taking in lots of, of podcasts about the value of that, that we just need respite. We just need space. And I find... It's true for me. That's when my brain actually turns on because we're so busy, so distracted by things. So, boy, we need that space. I'm glad that, that we can see that for David this week. And I'm going to spill that. That's what happens every Sunday when I do it. Somebody put it over here. Um, but we are in week eight of our series on Deuteronomy. And what a ride it has been. I've actually not been in this space. I've, I've been out with kids and things like that. I've been here for two of the services. How many of you have been here for all seven previous Deuteronomy sessions or just a few of you okay look at that enthusiasm well we are on week eight and uh, we will finish next week with week nine so it's a privilege to be able to share with you um, in this that's not me I mean it's not bad but you know no it's okay um, Ian if you just want to put the first one on there I can I can do it from there no there it is okay good are you um, so yeah, we're in, we're in chapter 33, looking at these last words of Moses. Moses is at the end. This is his, his deathbed, essentially, uh, although he, he dies up in the mountains. But he, he shares these last blessings with 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, so what we'll do today is, is we'll just look at this passage and try to unpack some things that hopefully are helpful for us. It's a bit meaty, isn't it? I mean, if you're like me... I, I mean, let's be honest, we just read the whole of the chapter. Did, did anybody want to confess to glazing over just a little bit as we did that? I, okay, fair enough. So, I, I, in fact, at one point, Josiah turned to me, and it's okay, I'm not, it's, it's fine. And he said, who's Gad? I mean, that, so that was where we were just as we tuned in, as, as we went. These are the tribes that came from the offspring of Jacob, and, and we'll talk about that as we go. But we're in these last words. We're going to look at different elements of it and carry on together. But if you'll look back at verse 1, we won't look at every verse together, but we'll look at some of these and unpack some things. Um, it says, this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. So not only is Moses, this man about to die, not only has he been a leader of these folks, he's in, in many ways acted as a surrogate father. And it's not insignificant that he's identified as the man of God. Along with his role as surrogate father, Moses has been a prophet. He's been this guy who's gone between the people and God. Because if you, if you follow the journey of the Israelite people, they've kind of upset God several times. And Moses is a guy who steps in in between and sorts that out. Um, so yeah, he's, he's been quite invested with these people. And here we are at this last point. Who better to receive a word from? 
who better to hear from but a, a person who has invested their entire lives in your well-being, in your development. So this is, this is a really special thing. Moses, as he walked faithfully with these people, um, he's trying to give them some insight as they prepare for their new life in the promised land. What are those moments in life where we're trying to set somebody up for what's next? Let, let, talk to me a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit. What, what are those key moments that, that we see in other people's lives where they're about to do something new? What are some of those key moments? Going to university, yes. What else? Getting married. Getting married. Significant, absolutely. Moving house. Moving house. Changing, jobs. Changing jobs. Having a baby. Having a baby. Oh, yes. <laughs> Quite a life-changing moment, absolutely. Anything else? We, we have these. There are these moments where wouldn't it be fantastic if there was just some words of wisdom that we could give in those times? Now, a lot of times, a few of those things happen at the same time. You go to university, you move house. You get married, you move house. So oftentimes, a, a lot happens at once. Statistics show that, that when you're going through these changes, anxiety and stress go up. We live in a stressful and an anxious world, don't we? So there is this, this intentional moment, and, and Moses is preparing to leave well with a sense of God's blessing for these people. The investment that Moses made actually in their lives is really essentially a blessing of God. Moses was used by God to bless these people, and it's the same for us. There are other people in our lives who bless us, and man, those are a gift from God. Hopefully, you can think of some people in your life that are a gift from God because they really are those people. Moses is that person, and just as God invested in their lives through Moses, there are key people in our lives who invest in us. As followers of Jesus, we are God's chosen people. So as we look at this story, as these things unfold in the Old Testament, we see a parallel journey between what they're going through and what we go through as looked after by God. Just as God invested in their lives, he invests in our lives also. Now, because we like to muddle things up, at least I do, I get things wrong all the time. When we think about this idea of blessing, um, I don't know how often we use the word bless, and if that kind of gets a bit convoluted. Now, growing up a lot in a, in a, in a southern United States christian culture, whenever somebody sneezed, I think you do it here as well, what do people say? God bless you. So we say it then. Uh, the other time I use the word bless or, or blessings is, is as a Christian when I'm writing a church email. Do we use blessing or bless any other times? In, in the letter with it, Yeah. Each meal, yeah, I think as Christians we do that. We don't really use it. Now, in the southern United States, I need to keep it close, don't I? In the southern United States, uh, we, we've been able to weaponize this word. And just so I can, can, for those of you who are struggling, I want to give you this. This is a little gift this morning. Um, this, is, this is a presentation by some folks called, it's a southern thing, and, and just a quick picture of how we weaponize the word bless in the south. Bless his heart. Once again, he won't be watching such a lot. Bless his heart. Oh, oh, hey, hey, yeah. Yeah. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Oh, come on. 
Yeah, we use words in funny ways, don't we? Um, in this context, they use the word blessed, but it's not actually meant to be the same thing we mean here. So don't get convoluted. Because we say God bless you, I think it makes it casual. Or sometimes even at the end of a letter, we say blessings. But this is a significant thing. This is not meant to be just something that we don't pay attention to. And there's quite a bit of intentionality here. Moses is giving these tribes a gift as he speaks words of hope, encouragement, joy to each of these folks as they prepare to go into the promised land as he prepares to lead them. If there's a live application for us, even in this introduction, we need to think about the ways we bless other generations. How do we bless our children? What hope, what joy, what encouragement do we speak into their lives? How do you bless me right now as you look at me funny? No, I'm joking. I'm, I am speaking to a couple of you, but that's okay. Uh, th there are ways that we can communicate to one another blessings. As coworkers at your church, people you live with, how does God want you to pronounce blessings? So just take that away from the get-go. Let's look at three points as we look at Deuteronomy 33. Um, God meets his people where they are, and he goes with them. In verse 2, it says, He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes. These places lifted, listed give a sense that God goes with his people everywhere, from the starting point through the journey to where they are right then. And that's important to remember. Uh, specifically about these places, we don't know all of them. Um, Sinai is the place where the law was given, Mount Horeb. You remember if you've seen the movie or read the scriptures with Charlton Heston and Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments. This is that place, all right? Um, and then specifically where these other ones are, we, we don't know, but um, it's likely to Seir is, is, is likely Edom. It's just part of their journey. And then some folks would say that this, this Mount Paran is, is in Moab where they're gathered to hear God's instructions. So, so the thing we can take away is that God meets them and goes with them. Now, Deuteronomy 33.2, which is the second verse, and if you've got the Bibles open, I'd love for you to look at it because I'm going to show you something that's a bit of an aside, but I think it's a valuable illustration for us. This is one of those verses that, depending on the version of the Bible you have, it looks very different. How many of you have read a verse in one version, and then you read the verse in another version? It's like, what is going on here? This is one of those places. I just want to point that out because I think it's some value for us as we consider how we do Bible study. So, these different uh, things here, ESV stands for English Standard Version, King James Version, New American Standard, forgive me, uh, Good News Bible. So these are this same verse in different versions. And if you'll look at the last part of it, the Deuteronomy 33.2b, uh, you'll see that there are all sorts of different things it says. Um, look at those and compare that to what we've even just read and what John just read. He came from 10,000 holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand with a fiery law for them, the NAS. And he came from the midst of ten thousand holy ones. At his right hand, there was flashing lightning for them. And then the Good News Bible says it this, ten thousand angels were with him, a flaming fire at his right hand. Do you see how these could, could mean different things? Sometimes we get quite bent out of shape as Christians with one another, because we've just read a little bit different version of things. 
You could read this, verse 2, as this being this host of angels that are gathered with God. And some interpret it that way, that when God came to meet with the people, there's this, this, this coming together of the supernatural realm with the earthly realm. And it's quite a beautiful picture. You could read it that it's actually all the people who are gathered there, that we are called to be holy ones gathered before God. I'm not really too fussy. And I think sometimes we can get quite bent out of shape about these things, but we do need to be aware that they're there. Most of the places where you see these differences in Scripture are not going to actually significantly matter for what we believe. But sometimes people build really strong belief systems around one or two Scriptures. It's called proof texting. I showed the guys a a couple weeks ago um, in, in the States the snake handling churches. Are any of you familiar? I think we've talked about it before. Are any of you familiar with the snake handling churches? We'll chase that rabbit another time. But there's all kinds of places where you can take Scripture and do different things. So we have this vision that Moses is recalling. And I think there's something valuable about going into a starting point. Just back on that other scripture, just so you know, the most literal rendering of it is fiery law. Don't know what's going on with that in the King James. But, it, but the sense of what it's, what's there in the Hebrew is just capturing this brilliance that comes along with God's presence. Angels, God's presence, all those things. But we have this starting point, which we see in these first few verses. Surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet they all bow down. And from you receive instruction. The law of Moses gave us. The possession of the assembly of Jacob. He was king over Jeshurun when the leaders of the people assembled along with the tribes of Israel. God meets with his people in a way that they can connect with him, they can see him in a language they can understand. He did this in the Old Testament physically here at Mount Sinai, and he does it with us. How does he meet with us as Christians? This is one of the church answers right here. How did he do it? Who came? What's the incarnation? It's Jesus. I heard the subtle whispers. It's scary when you don't know if you're going to be right or not when you say something. It's Jesus. Jesus comes as a human Hebrew baby that we can see, that we can touch, that lives life on this earth as a human. God meets his people where they are, and God comes to us in a way that can be known. And so that's what we see a picture of in Deuteronomy 33, and it's part of how we're blessed. So that's our first point. God blesses those who are faithful. In the study notes of this chapter that Peter White did, now Peter White was here, I think, for the second or third in our Deuteronomy series. In his study notes on this chapter, he mentions this phrase, so an act, reap a habit, so a habit, reap a character, and so a character, reap a destiny. We don't know for sure where this originally came from. We don't, we don't know who to attribute this statement to. Um, but it seems to kind of fit with the pattern that we see in these blessings of these 11 tribes of, that Moses addresses. Does, does this make sense? When you look at that, do you see what that's about? That the little things that we do build into life. Okay, so that's what's there. And that plays out in these blessings that we see. Now, this section in Deuteronomy is similar to Genesis 49. 
Genesis 49, we find Jacob on his deathbed, and he also is pronouncing blesses, blessings and curses on his 12 sons. Now, last week, David mentioned the story. For those of you who've just walked in, if you've not been here for the whole Deuteronomy series, it, it probably feels like you've just turned on the, the third installment of a Star Wars or Lord of the Rings movie. You may not know what's going on, but I don't, I don't want to do too much labor of, of the whole backstory, but... But ultimately, you've got God's people who were chosen through, through Abraham, and then we eventually have sons of sons, and you've got the 12 tribes of Israel. They were imprisoned and enslaved, enslaved in Egypt, and then we have this period where they come out. In the Bible, it's the book of Exodus, and they roam around forever and forever, it seems like, uh, for a generation to pass away. And Deuteronomy is about the new generation receiving the law again, being reminded of what they need to be doing, and now we're at this point where they're about to finally get into the promised land. Now, when David mentioned that, it just was a quick update of where we are. And, and, and if you think about the numbers of these people and their generations, it was a miracle that they became tribes. You have 12 sons in Genesis, and now we get to hundreds and thousands and thousands of people. They've grown. So in Genesis 49, though, just when it was these 12 sons, Jacob promises both blessings and curses over his kids. That's really not very nice, is it, to pronounce blessings and curses? But, but the curses and the blessings was a response to their behavior and character. What we do matters. The things they were sowing and the character they were developing became some of the things that we see worked out in Deuteronomy 33. Interestingly, we can see um, many of the things that Joseph mentions in Genesis 49 come to pass. It's over 400 years later. 400 years. Some of us can't get past 20 minutes before we're distracted. Generations later, we have in Deuteronomy 33. Moses has only kind things to say in chapter 33. Um, you, can certainly, you can't isolate this chapter from the whole book, uh, but what he does here is, is good things. He encourages them. And the covenant that God makes with his people, and we see this throughout Deuteronomy, is conditional. All right? You reap what you sow. If you're going to get anything out of something, you've got to put something in. And if we're going to have a relationship with God, it's, it's covenantial based on how we react to him. Marriage is a picture of that. Uh, sometimes we get a bit confused about what marriage is about. Marriage is meant to be a picture of the relationship that God has with us, the covenantial relationship he has with us. Now, in Deuteronomy 33, there's, there's one of the tribes that's not mentioned. It's the tribe of Simeon. Now, this gets a bit nerdy here. So for those of you who are already struggling, just, just hold, on. hold on. Hold on to your neighbor's hand and hold on for a little bit because we're going to look at some of these things a little bit. Um, Simeon is not mentioned, and we don't know why, but perhaps the answer is in what we see with Jacob's pronouncement in Genesis 49. This is what Jacob said to his son Simeon 440-ish years earlier. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel, I will scatter them in Jacob." and disperse them in Israel. So when we don't see Simeon in Deuteronomy 33, perhaps 
what's happening here is the fulfillment of that curse. We don't know. But we do see over and over again that God responds to how we relate to him. He responds to our hearts. If you want to know God, if you want to pursue God, he responds to that. He meets you where you are. Simeon, perhaps there's a, an act that's being sown back in the, in the great, 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 great grandfather's character that resulted in some things for his children and their tribe. They show up later. We do see Simeon in Revelation. They show up again. They're not completely gone, but perhaps that's what's going on here. I wonder if Moses also had in mind when he did not mention Simeon, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Do you know what I mean? Do, do any of us struggle with, with saying things that we, we, we probably shouldn't? I mean, just a little bit. Um, a few of us are reading Ecclesiastes right now. Ecclesiastes is this book of human wisdom at its best. If you've read it, it's quite cynical. It's, it's quite vanity of vanities. It's all dust. I mean, it's really quite negative. But it's really this perspective that's not considering God. But then we get a God perspective in it as we go. This is from Ecclesiastes 5.2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. This really challenges me because... Because Josiah, both of us, as Nakan men, we, we know how to disperse words like nobody's business. I think it was last week I was talking to one of you, and I said, I can talk the paint off the wall. I mean, I, I can throw words out there. Josiah, what was it you said when we first moved here? I got words cocked in my mouth from yesterday. I mean, we know how to throw words out there. But what if maybe we followed Moses' example, and if we don't have anything helpful or kind to say, maybe we just don't say anything at all. And what's, what is it, 1 Thessalonians, that says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, such as what's good for edification? I think I'm muddling that up a little bit, but correct me, find it, and then you can learn that verse. The Bible tells us, be careful with our words. I don't know, but maybe there's a reason he's being encouraging. He doesn't say anything about Simeon. What would it be for us as Christians if we were intentional about our words, and not just our words, but the ways we communicate? Social media is a new evolution of communication in the last 20 years. What if we were intentional about the things that we put on these platforms? What if we're intentional about the way that we respond to one another even when we're having a conversation? Body language says a lot, doesn't it? Something to think about. Let's look at a few other examples from this middle, middle part of the passage of, of us seeing so an act reap a habit. You've got Reuben here. Uh, what, what Moses says here in verse 6 is, let Reuben live and not die, nor his people be few. Jacob says of Reuben, back in Genesis 49, you will no longer excel. Now, Reuben was the firstborn, and traditionally the firstborn inherits more blessing. But if you remember, which I wouldn't, but I, I've looked at it recently, the story of Reuben is this was a guy who, who actually had an affair with his father's concubine. He did things that he wasn't supposed to do. And so when it came to the end of Jacob's life, he says to him, you will no longer excel. As the firstborn son, Reuben did not carry the responsibility or the honor with his actions of his role and his position. And so we get to this point in Deuteronomy, 
And Moses says, may you not disappear. Let Reuben live and not die. There's, there's consequences. There's, there's things that come from what we sow. To Levi, he says, your Thuman and Urim belong to your faithful servant. You tested him at Massa. You contented with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. Listen to these. Let, if you're like me, you zone out. I know it's, it, this, is, this is a strange thing we do at sermons. I get it. So just listen to these words here and think about this in a family context. This is, this is what Moses is saying about Levi. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. But he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. That's really intense. Levi did not have regard for his parents or his brothers or sisters, but he watched over your word. Verse 10, this is Moses again saying these blessings at the end of his life. Verse 10 for Levi, he teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless all his skills, Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. Strike down those who rise against him, his foes, till they rise no more. There's more content to the blessing for Levi. Now, Levi, we just read about him when we read the passage in Genesis 49. It was to Simeon and Levi that he talked about their wrongs and that they needed to be dispersed amongst the tribes. And that kind of does happen a bit with Levi. But if you'll remember the scene, do you remember when Moses, we talked about a second ago, Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments? And do you remember what the, the, the Hebrew people did during that time? They got a bit distracted, didn't they? They, um, they thought Moses was gone, and so they decided, we need another god. We'll just make one up. And so they collected some gold, and they made a golden calf, and they chose to worship the golden calf. Now, Moses is, is up meeting with God, and God's like, you need to get down there. I'm going I'm to destroy them all. And, and Moses is like, no, don't destroy them all, because that would really go against your name. Again, Moses intercedes for us, and, or Moses intercedes representing kind of that thing that Jesus does for us. So Moses comes down. And he's, he's confronting the people, and this is what happens with the Levites, okay? The Levites. This is Exodus 32, 26 through 29. It says, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. I wonder what would happen if that call came out today. Who is on the Lord's side in a culture that has completely rejected God, that completely goes against your word and worships other things? Who is on my side? The sons of Levi come. Verse 27, he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you, this is intense, kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. I get that this to our ears, this business of, of what the consequence was for these people's uh, disobedience and rebellion is, is pretty intense. I get that. And we, we can process that some more. That's why I think home groups are so valuable. So if you're hearing something today and you're like, whoa, what's up with God's character there? I think there's actually a value for us to unpack that in a deeper way, and I encourage you, 
find a home group. If that's something that you're looking for, see Debbie, see myself. We'll sort out uh, as best we can a way for you to have an opportunity to process some of these things here. But recognize from Scripture that God is holy. And because He is holy, He, he, he demands that we worship Him in truth. And so making a false god is not acceptable. The Levites got it, and they were obedient to what God had for them. And because of that, we get to Deuteronomy 33 many, many years later, and Moses, who would have been there, who would have remembered this, pronounces this blessing on them, and he remembers that they actually went against their families for the sake of God's will and his word. And so he blesses them there. They sowed an act, and it turns out into this destiny. Let's do one more. One more. You guys okay? We're all right? Yeah, we're okay. We'll still finish early, so just relax if you're getting nervous. Joseph. About Joseph, he said, May the Lord bless his land with the precious dew from heaven, above with the deep waters that lie below. Listen to this. I like this blessing. Verse 14, with the best the sun brings forth, as we come into this cold building, wouldn't it be nice to experience the best the sun can bring forth with the deep waters that lie below? Oh, I'm sorry, I got off. Uh, the finest the moon can yield. Verse 15, with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness in the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. Let all the rest of the head of Joseph on the brow of the prince among his brothers. In majesty, he is like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them, he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of, of Ephraim, such as the thousands of Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh being the sons of Joseph that he had in Egypt. We have this, this, this son who ultimately... Joseph's tribe grows into the largest tribe. Um, and, and remember everything that when Joseph went through. Remember from Genesis, um, he, he was sold into slavery. He gets dropped off in Egypt as a slave. He, he starts to rise in some ways in Potiphar's house, but then he's accused falsely of misconduct, let's say. And then he ends up in jail. I mean, what a miserable life to be sold into slavery by your brothers. But then from there... Through interpreting dreams and just, and just being faithful in every stage of his life, he ultimately becomes second in charge of Egypt. And because of the things that he does, it saves his family, it saves a nation, and actually communities around them. Joseph remains so faithful through his life. He sowed an act, and now Moses' blessing for him is, may you have the best. Have the best land, the best sun has to offer, the best yield, choice produce. What an incredible thing. But there were certainly some dark days for Joseph. Some of the things about looking at these different individual lives is, is an encouragement to me because God meets us in where we are. How many of you are siblings? How many of you have siblings? I've got three children. I originally was an only child, but it's another story. Um, how many of you are quite different from your siblings? Aren't you thankful that your parents, hopefully, if they, if they were doing it as best they could, related to each of you differently? Because we're all so different. Those of us who have kids, I love my three guys, well, three kids, and 
they're all so different. They all look like us, but they're all so different. And God relates to each of us differently as we are different. That's a wonderful thing. The idea of sowing an act is, is, is not just this nice saying from an anonymous source. There's actually a, a biblical precedent for this as well. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says this. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What are we reaping? We see these blessings pronounced on these guys, their tribes, 400 plus years later of what they reaped initially as these sons plays out generationally later. What are we reaping? What are we sowing for the generations after us? Now, now this question about what are we doing for the generations after us is often framed with an agenda. I mean, it's, it's often comes um, with the angst of whatever's going on in society at the time. Do you know what I mean? Do you smell what I'm cooking here? There's a reality that there's always some agendas driving this type of question, like the generations after you will suffer because you guys, you know, and there always seems to be that drive with it. Whatever the societal angst is at the moment, I think we as Christians should be prepared to address it. Coronavirus is a societal angst for many, maybe not all, at the moment. Uh, climate change is a societal angst pollution. And we as Christians shouldn't just ignore those things and be like, eh, I, I think we have a voice that we should speak into those situations. However, I submit to you that if we as Christians are sowing a life that is faithful to the Lord as both individuals and as a community, by default, we will be addressing these things. You, you don't have to show me a picture of the ocean and the, the, the pollution that's literally the size of Texas floating out in the ocean to, to make me motivated to not do something about pollution. Do you know, it, I, I shouldn't need that picture to just be a faithful and good steward of this creation and the responsibility as a believer in God that we have a role to play in looking after things. Do, do you know what I mean? We shouldn't need... Um, I mean, frankly, good hygiene should just be a practice that we have, regardless of whether there's a virus brewing or not. Wash your hands. I mean, we, we should have the character because of, of, the, of the faithfulness that we have just in who God calls us to be. So I, I think that what we reap doesn't need to always be a reaction to what's happening around us. We should just be reaping godly character regardless and sometimes that will match what society's got angst about, and sometimes it won't. And we see in these examples people who helped society greatly, what Joseph did, absolutely blessed the believer and the pagan alike. And then we see what Levi's acts were, which were actually quite controversial. Faithfulness to the Lord. What legacy of faith are you sowing for your children? This is a central theme in Deuteronomy. You remember the trust fall thing we did? 
Well done, by the way, guys. That was well done. I'm, Jamie, I'm sorry I wasn't trusting you. Forgive me for that. We did that trusting bit. And you remember the scripture we just read from Deuteronomy? I think this is the theme of the whole book in some ways. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And if you've gotten bored as we've talked today, just grab this. If you walk away this afternoon and just 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 aim to do this. It'll sort the rest of this stuff out. Verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is not a checklist, by the way. Uh, Moses is not giving the, the Hebrew people a checklist of when they're supposed to talk about God. This is all the time in the rhythm of life. All the time you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. Some folks take that literally, by the way. You'll see that. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And everything that you do, it should be about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, everything, everything. That's how we sow an act that reaps a destiny. Last one. God is like no other. There is no one else like God. One of the reasons that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and this is important. For those of you guys who are younger, I work with young people and it's a privilege. Look, all the religions are not the same. They genuinely are not. And, and just because someone like me or somebody in your RME class tells you something, you, you probably need to test it because sometimes we, we, we mess it up. And certainly folks say things about Christianity that are just not true in the context of teaching now, that doesn't make me right. I, I think you genuinely need to investigate these things. But one of the reasons that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ is because there simply is no other God like the God of Christianity. There's no other religious system like Christianity. Nothing comes close to the amazing grace that God offers humanity. Now, we've just did point two, which was you reap what you sow. But here's the thing. Here's the other part of the blessing. Actually, we're blessed, period in spite of what we reap, in spite of what we sow. God's grace comes and meets us where we are. There's a full circle here. When we're lost, when we're separated from him, when we've broken the relationship, God comes to us. And there's no way that we can make things morally or spiritually right. It is impossible. Karma, we cannot achieve enough to be in right standing with God. No matter how much penance you do, no how much many good deeds. And if you look at any other system, they're all dependent on the actions that you take to make yourselves right with God. Verse 26 is beautiful. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, which is Israel, who rides across the heavens to help you on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Do you see this picture here? Heaven above underneath. He's everywhere. Are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you saying, destroy them. He, he goes before us. So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell secure in the land of grain and new wine where the heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will tread on their heights. Christianity is unique in that God meets us where we are, 
then he blesses us. Blessed are you. We are blessed. We have the same God who blesses us that blessed these people so long ago. God reigns in the heavens. He holds us with his everlasting arms. He goes before us. He dwells with us. There is no one like our God. God meets his people where they are and goes with them. I suppose a point of reflection is where are you? Sometimes you might feel like, I, I can't. I can't get there. I can't believe this. I can't, my life is in such a wreck. I've done things. I just, I, I, I go, you church people freak me out. I mean, th- there may be so many different things that, that make us feel separated from this thing of Christianity. I believe in the church. I believe in gathering. But there's so much more to Christianity than this. This is just us meeting. Christianity is life. And wherever you are, God will meet you there. He's, he's gone to great extremes in sacrificing his son to have a relationship with you. God meets you where you are. He wants to meet you where you are. So wherever you are in this room or wherever that wayward child is or wayward parent or whoever, God wants to meet them too. He wants to meet you where you are, and he does. You're never so far that you cannot meet with God, ever, ever, ever. God blesses those who are faithful. Um, that doesn't mean we don't have hard times. It's, it's, not, a, it's, not, a, it's, a, it's not a banking system. And, and in fact, what we see play out in the lives of these sons in Genesis 49, the blessing may play out generations later. How many of you are aware of past generations and their belief in God? Can some of you say, my parents were Christians, my grandparents were Christians? Um, some of us have that privilege. Some of us, uh, even within my family, there's generations that are skipped. I mean, we'll have incredible evil in some of these generations back, you know, where they were spiritualists and, and really did things of, 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 of anti-God. But you can find a generation where there was faithfulness. Um, you just may not see it outworked, but just, just trust that God blesses those who are faithful. And God is like no other God. That's just a genuine fact. Study other religions. There is nothing that compares to Christianity if you genuinely look at these as systems. It's amazing. And it's actually the only doable system. I know that sounds quite nerdy, and, but I'm not a Christian because of rationalization, but it is quite rational beyond the things that are just of God, which we can't explain, which makes sense because he's God, he's not us. There is no God like ours. So the pronouncement in Deuteronomy 33, verse 26, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun is true for us as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can gather and worship you. This is, it, it sometimes feels strange to me that we do this. Um, there's not really other context in our modern world where we would gather in a room like this and just listen to somebody. Um, I thank you for the faithfulness of everyone in here. And Lord, for the folks that have been in the room and just struggled, um, just because it's Deuteronomy and it just feels so far away, Lord, I ask that you would meet them where they are. And I thank you that you are so gracious and patient with us. So Lord, I thank you for the folk who've come in 
and have just done it because they, they know there's something worthwhile about it, but, but maybe they don't find it very fulfilling. Lord, I ask that you would meet them. Lord, for the folks in the room who, who genuinely love to gather in this format, in this community, bless them as well, and everybody in between. But Lord, we do ask that you would bless our coming together. May we continue to, to, to be faithful to that as you ask us to do in your word. And may we continue to do it with meaning and faithfulness. But meet us, Lord. Meet us as a church where we are, Father, for the days ahead, for the generations that will come as we seek as a community to pass on the gospel to young people. Show us how to do that in a way that's truthful, with integrity, but also connects with relevance. So, Lord, may we never sacrifice truth uh, with an aim to be relevant. Help us to do that well. Lord, you've done it for thousands and thousands of years. So we just ask, God, that you'd meet us where we are as a church and show us how to communicate the truth of this wonderful gospel that you are like no other God. And Lord, help us to communicate that outside the church as well, not only just in our meeting as a community, but as we go this week, as we address fears of coronavirus or as we address just all the things that ail us or concern us, family issues, relationship breakdown, financial issues, uncertainty about the future. Lord, all these things help us to submit them before you. Meet us where we are in our places of need and help us to be faithful. And Lord, in that faithfulness, may we be blessed. And then may we pass that blessing on to others, Lord. May we not just do this for, for the betterment of our lives, but Father, for the, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of a demonstration of the reality that you are like no other God. So Lord, do a work in us as individuals and as a church community that just demonstrates how good you are. Help us to be faithful and bless us in that. Thank you for Deuteronomy. Thank you for the Old Testament that we can see your character on display and your holiness and, and, and truly your grace as well, Lord. And Father, for those who, who, who struggle perhaps to reconcile what we read in Deuteronomy or Genesis or Exodus with what we see of, of Jesus, Lord, I, I just ask that you meet people where they are and demonstrate your faithfulness throughout the whole testimony of the scriptures of who you are. Thank you, God, for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.